0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the of Business. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Shona and Kelly. Shona, welcome, and thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Kay. It's a pleasure. So, Shona, can you just explain to the listeners a little bit about your background? Because you've had a very interesting story that's led you to becoming a health coach. It's quite yeah. A-
1: yeah, well, I, I left university first time around in my late teens um, and went to do a um, sports science degree and left there and sort of didn't really know what I wanted to do because the degree didn't really qualify me to do anything. But I was I, I got very good T1 and um, I just bummed around being a leisure attendant for a couple of summers and then I went into um, uh, health so I went more into health and looking after people with med- medical conditions in gyms and then for- fell into a personal training role and I'm um, really wanted to learn more about anatomy and physiology, so I did sports massage as well. So I kind of combined all of them. And by the time I kind of hit 30, I was a bit bored of being in a gym trying to help people that were only going to turn up twice a week to do exercise when that wasn't really going to be helping them long-term help them. It will help them to a certain degree, but lots of them would fall off and then there would be blame. And, you know, I just thought there must be a better way of helping people other than just pointing them into sort of doing some work on a treadmill or doing some work on the floor or trying to get them to be enthusiastic about something they really didn't want to be there doing. It was like a process. Um, and I just ended up being a bit of a therapist to most of my clients, really. They would come in and natter for an hour and then go home. And I didn't really see the results that I wanted them to receive because, yeah, I thought it was a bit of a jolly for most of them.
0: <laughs>
1: it was fine. I got paid really well. Um, but I decided I want to do something else. And I went back to university for four years at 31 and trained to be a chiropractor. Um which was massive for me because I only got five GCSEs at school um, and only just scraped three A-levels um, because I, my my schooling, well, I didn't enjoy school, let's put it that way, but it turns out I can get 2 two ones at a degree level once I applied myself. And chiropractic was just fantastic, sort of opening my mind to how our brains, neurology controls pretty much everything that we need. And, um, but at university, um, AUCC, I went to in Bournemouth, they really just go into the mechanical side of how the neurology works. So it's like, you know, there's an impulse, goes to a muscle, muscle moves, and then information comes back, and the brain processes that so it can learn from it. And I got that, and for many years, I I really took that as that is the gospel, But then I started to see changes in my clients, you know, there was emotional stuff that was having a, was making a difference to them. And we do study psychosocial stuff, but not, um, not really spiritual stuff, not really sort of stuff on a different level to what we're taught as a basic. And it took a lot for me to go and find that information because it was so, I'd done two science-based degrees to go and find something that wasn't quantifiable or qualifiable um, on sort of a spiritual realm i suppose going more into like reiki going more into learning more about yoga and how that helps the body heal what was driving you to seek this information okay so i had i had i have brilliant parents i don't want to say anything derogatory about my parents but they're um an army officer and a school teacher and they were very Victorian in the way they brought us up. So children should be seen and not heard. And I was really searching for a reason why I couldn't push myself forward. So I, I like to to play it small. I like to play it in, um, I like to be helping other people and not really helping myself. And that was very much drummed into me as a child. And I couldn't break that process. I couldn't like be seen you know, my mum was terribly embarrassed if she was the center of attention. She kind of like created that embarrassment for us as well. And I wanted to break through these these barriers that I had. and I stumbled across a guy called Bruce Lipton who is you know, who changed my life basically. I never met him. <laughs> um but I was starting to run hundred k walks. I was starting to try and do something that I I knew I couldn't do already. So I hit my 40s and I said, right, I'm not going to fall into a demise. I'm going to challenge myself every year to do something I couldn't do last year, whether it's emotional, physical, whatever it is. And this year it was a 100k walk. So I was training, I was reading his book, um, The Wisdom of Yourselves and Biology of Belief, but I wasn't reading it. Because it turns out at school, the reason I wasn't very good is that I I don't process reading very well. So I I can only take stuff in when I'm when I hear it audibly. And um, so I would put my, my his book on, and off I would trek. I would go and walk for four hours, and I would just be struck by like all of this information that I didn't know. Like why was it up until now, until I was forty years old? why haven't I known all of this stuff that you your genetics do not actually control your destiny you don't have to be like the person that you're defined by your parents you don't have to be this person that um is created by you know your upbringing when you're younger you can choose at any point to change that and so I, I started like changing things quite drastically you know If we spoke to my husband, divorce was like close several times because I was changing to a person that he didn't recognize and I needed him to come with me on that journey. And luckily I have a very amazing husband and he managed to make those changes, which were quite drastic for us because we were proper party people that kind of like just enjoyed losing ourselves in the moment, not fixing ourselves down. Um, and we became very driven and very focused over sort of the next the last decade we both very successfully run our own businesses and um, he left a big corporate big corporate job to run his own business so he grew in confidence and stature as well but yes it was Bruce Lipton that really changed everything and then I just had a thirst for knowledge I just needed to know so I went through some of the greats, Joe Dispenza and um, many, many others where I would sit and listen to their books. I would try and understand Went all the way back, you know, I've done a lot of Bob Proctor work um, and um, I'm currently going through his TIR stuff again, because I've done TIR once already, which is um, Thinking Into Results. It's one of his big programs. Unfortunately, we lost him recently, so I've never actually got to meet him. But
0: yes, my third to Bruce Lipson. Yes, this is really interesting to me because the book Biology of Belief was quite transformative for me as well. So before I trained as a physio, I did a genetics degree, and uh-huh. it just flipped. I was just like, "What did <laughs> I learn in those three minutes?" Thinking
1: about it now, just like, yeah, because if you did genetics, it must have been unbelievable. I must have been like, "This guy's off his head."
0: Well, it wasn't, because he started, his background, just for the listeners who aren't familiar, his background is as a cell biologist. So he yeah. explains things in a way that it's so obvious you don't know why you didn't ask these questions yourself. <laughs> um, and for me, one of the big things he answers in the very early chapters of this end go on endless debate, isn't it? Nature, nurture, nature, nurture. He says there's a sentence in it to so remember highlighting it. It's the environment stupid. And that's about yeah. chapter two or three. But then the most of the rest of the book, so you're, you're understanding, hey, it's the environment. It's not my genes. It's my, my environment that is really important and rather like, I often use the example of a pot plant or a plant in the garden. Yeah. yeah. While well, it's not thriving, should you move it? So more sun, more water, whatever the plant needs. Yeah. But a lot of the rest of the book is just comes to the conclusion that it's actually your perception of the environment that's even more important than the environment. Yeah. And uh it uh, and and he gives plenty of evidence and supporting information to, to to back up why he comes to that conclusion. But yes, it was obviously I, was just like, <laughs> what I know. Over three years, he's he's amazing in the way that he
1: explains. Have you listened to the book? The way that he oh, uh, you just read it. I just
0: read it. Yeah, I have to listen
1: to okay. it. So it's beautiful the way that he reads it because he'll tell you the bit and then he's going goes and I'm going to tell you why. So he'll give you this nugget and then doesn't just leave you with a nugget. He then dissects it and makes it palatable for somebody that's not even a science-based person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a brilliant, it's a brilliant book. So if nobody's read, if you haven't read it, I really recommend that if you want transformation, if you want to understand the, the sort of physiology, the physics of it all, then this is the book that will will do that for you.
0: So all of this information that you were seeking, that you were gathering, was enabling you to come out of your own sort of box that you put yourself in. You were realizing it was a false box. There were no walls. There were no limitations. Yeah, exactly. And
1: and it was it's been such a gift. The journey has been such a gift. And it's hard sometimes to qualify that in the environment that you're still in because you still created. You know, like my son still has the same group of friends, and my I still have the same group of friends, but I don't share the same. Um, I don't have the same evidence base for my, you know, progression in life that they do. They're still in their little box. They're still, but I never push that on people. I'll occasionally just say, "Oh, well, have you thought about it from this way or that way?" And sometimes it's, um, it's grounding to have that. Um, but yeah, really, I just needed to push myself past what my what my family's expectations of me were, what my then own personal expectations were of me. And I still have struggle every day. Like I still get a little gremlin that pops up and it goes, you shouldn't do that because, and I'll think to myself, now whose thought is that? Is that from my mum and dad? Is that society? Who is that? Because if that was really me, I would not be saying that. So it gives me a lot of, um, space to I, I do use a lot of meditation Um i studied mindfulness for a long period of time um, i love qigong Um i got a lot into energy release work i studied reiki Um i've done a lot of stuff that has allowed me to expand who i am but in that my chiropractic treatments have like nobody would understand that it was a chiropractic treatment i suppose Um, because I don't do any clicking or cracking anymore. I work very much with the brain to adjust the body rather than forcing adjustments on the body to say, this is what I think is right. I use muscle testing, applied kinesiology, and I'm asking all the time, is this the right move? Is this the right move? And the communication, if you open it between you and your body, your mind and your body is exponential. It's, it's, it's out there for the taking. And, and that's really what my coaching is down to. Like That's why I call myself a health mindset coach. I'm not really teaching people about health. I'm teaching them about what holds them back from being healthy and to try and access the understanding of when you create a thought in your mind, you can then choose to action it or you can choose to ignore it. And That thought can either be a negative or a positive. So you can choose a negative action that will. you can choose a negative thought and follow that through. And that will have a negative action in your body. Or you can choose a positive thought. You can see the negative thought, change it for a positive thought. And then the positive action will change the outcome and it will change the behavior that you use. So it's not really, I have all of the knowledge about helping people with nutrition and all the rest of it but i'm there to help the people that know all of the information and they are not actioning it properly because they've got these gremlins in their background programs that are stopping them from getting there and that's really where my that's really where i feel my strengths are is that i can help people see those gremlins to understand them and to love them because at some point they were helpful to them so none of the background programs that you're running that are negative were ever created by your mind to be negative to you. They were there as a mechanism to help you in some way, but they just no longer serve their purpose, or they serve their purpose and you've kept the gremlin in the in the programming. And it's about finding that that whatever that is, whatever that trigger is, whatever, and where does the trigger lead to this act to this thought, and then that thought believes moves into this behavior. Do you want that behavior? Do you want to eat the third cake? You know, do you want to like, you know, actually go to the gym? Yes, you do. But your gremlin in your background program just goes pokes up and goes. I really need to do that, do you? And what was that serving you? Like, did that stop you? Did that help you at some point? And tracing that information back to a point where you can see why it was helpful to be grateful for it, for the time, and then learning new habit behavior, putting something in place so that you can move forward. And next time you have that thought and the gremlin turns up, you have the mindfulness to be able to say, actually, I do want to go ahead. And the new actions placed. It takes many times to replace an old behavior with a new behavior, but in the same process, you have to start somewhere. So my course is, is actually you know, a 12 week course, but it's only a precursor to start changing those programs. It's a long term process that you're going to go through. There isn't a magic button. I've never said there's a magic button. But what if you don't know something, you can't change it. And what I do is help people find that that thing.
0: So the irony I often think is how ridiculous we've got in terms of we know that there's a lot of even without this knowledge, there's a lot of precursing Precursory factors or predispositions that lead to pain or injury. We're saying, I'm not sure if it's the same in the chiropractic world, but it's in the physio world. How few sessions can I get you better in? Yeah. One, two, three, oh, off well, out the door, my visits average. You've not got anybody truly better with that. You might have no a sticking plaster and a temporary problem, but you've not really truly resolved a problem. No. And I, I,
1: yeah, I'm very definitive. That's one of the things that this has helped me do is become very defined in who I want to help as well. And it's the people that are open to sort of understanding their body. Like they want more than just a a plaster fix. And it, a part of my, um, paperwork they have to sign, it's an online thing. It says, um, you are going to require at least four to six treatments, possibly up to 10, Do you agree with that? And if they put no, I then phone them up and I'll say, I'm not sure this is the right program for you. Simon down the road is a brilliant chiropractor. Just go see him. Mm. Because I don't want them to waste their money on two or three treatments and tell me that they haven't got better when there's a whole process that needs to happen. And normally it is the fourth or the fifth treatment where people start making breakthroughs, coming in and going, I don't know what you did last time, but it wasn't what I did last time. It was what we've done for the last five times. And then, you know, by six treatments, they're normally, you know, pain free. And then I'll explain, you know, there's going to be triggers that are going to move you back to the state that you were in. Let's catch up in six weeks. Let's make sure the triggers weren't there in that six week period. And by then, people, most people are on board. Most people understand that it's a process and it's not a quick fix.
0: And it's it's the same with the coaching. But it's really about helping people sort of reclaim their body then that's what how. and you're the catalyst to enable that to happen exactly and every
1: time they're here I try and teach them something different about themselves so I'll try and you know say you know I'll do a little bit of how thoughts dictate your outcome you know like when you hurt yourself where, where does your brain go like for me and I'll say this to him pain is brilliant it's like the brain telling me there's something wrong whereas most people move away from pain and they're fearful of it or it's something that they and as soon as I can try and convince somebody that pain is actually a friendly thing you know it's there to remind them not to go into further injury it's there to remind them not to do something more detrimental and it's there to tell them that your body's reached a limit and you need to start listening and so as soon as they start to do that they're like and they start to manage themselves better you know they'll they'll get to a point where it's starting to hurt and they go oh no i remember that this is this is a message from my brain this is like i'm not going to push through it i'm going to listen and they start to heal themselves but they don't realize that that's part of the process and once the mind starts knowing that you're going to listen to it it starts downgrading like the issues in and around the body it doesn't have to tell you all of the little nuances it can start to say okay, well, they're in control, you know, they're going to nourish themselves properly, they're hydrating themselves properly, they're not sitting in that seat that really irritates the spine, you know, my spine. And the brain and the, the body and the mind start to, like, get into synchronicity and and start, yeah, really the healing process they need.
0: And some of this can be so, well, much of it, so ignored and neglected. Um, I'm guessing you've seen Shona in terms of, I remember, but he's a junior physio hearing other practitioners say that patients were mad and that they're not mad just because you can't get them better doesn't mean that they're mad <laughs> no. or they're not compliance. that's the other one and it's the patient's yeah. fault it's always the patient's fault there's never the I know.
1: I know and i think that's it's really hard because all sorts of people that there's not one person on this planet the same as another person and yet we all try and give a program of care That is for a shoulder. Okay. There's shoulder rotator cuff problem. Like physios, I'm not saying all physios, but, you know, some physios will roll out the same program to everybody with a rotator cuff problem. They're not the same person. They can't have the same healing process as every single person. But then looking for a percentage change, you know, if 40% get better, you know, we're doing our job. The other 60%, you know, like, like you said, they were the people that didn't comply, they're the people that didn't do this and didn't do that. Well, why are they not complying? You know, maybe you know they're a busy mum, working. You know, work. They're on their own. They've got three children. Their priority is not their own healing. They've. There's got to be more support than just a program put in front of somebody because the compliant people will get better, but the other compliant people aren't awkward. They just have a different life to those other people. They just have a different mental process. They had a different childhood. They had a You know, don't look after yourself, look after everybody else mentality, and yeah, it's it's hard when. What I love is those people that have just broken free of that. They've decided to, you know, even if they're putting on a credit card. Sometimes I feel awful when people have got their credit card out and they're like, nope, I'm going to make myself better, and they're here to like make a difference to themselves, regardless of the cost, even though they maybe can't afford it. But by the time they finish, they're like, that's the best money I've ever spent. And then they'll find a way of paying it back. They'll find a way. That's why I don't discount my prices because I, I, through this work myself, I've learned to value what I can give people. And if people value what I can give them, then they're happy to pay the price. It's when they don't value it, when it's a low cost item, that is when people will start to complain and bicker about, you know, I didn't get an extra five minutes or I didn't get this, I didn't get that. People know what they get when they come to me because they're paying. They're paying a price, but they also very aware from my website not to come to me if they want this, this, and this. You know, only come if this is this describes you. And um, yeah, I have a busy and successful practice. Often, like just referrals, I love that because um, a lot of the times people will come to me and they will go, "Well, my my mum sent me, but she doesn't really know what you do, but it works." because a lot of what I do is muscle testing and it's nuanced works because the brain can feel, you know, very light touch. You don't need to like push into tissue for the brain to understand there needs to be change at this point. And the brain has this beautiful 3D image of the body and it's constantly correcting, you know, through all of the organs, through all the muscles, through the nerves, through, you know, every single part of the body is accounted for. But when you get an injury, what I believe is that almost gets separated, and that's why exercise and physio is so important. Because once you've reduced the pain, you need to reintegrate that joint or that thing back into the the whole body, and that's when physio is massively important. And I, you know, I get upset when I get somebody in, you know, somebody aged maybe that's had um, a shoulder dislocation, or they've had an injury and badly sprained their ankle. And the doctors got them to the point where they can move again. They had two weeks or three weeks of physio or or a page of exercises, and now they can't get around. I'm like, well, that's because the brain is still perceiving that there's injury there, even though they can get around. It's not being reintegrated. You know, they're not weight bearing properly into that leg. So then the hip flexors have got tight. So then the muscles up into the left shoulder have got tight. Now they've got a shoulder problem because they're. The connection is like pulling from that shoulder to try and heave the leg up. And, it, yeah, it's frustrating, um, but it's what what can you do about it? It's like the, the NHS that we have in the UK, it, that, that is the process, you know? And if somebody's still um, struggling after six weeks of having a physiotherapy thing, then they might think to scan it. But I'm like, don't do scanning. Give them, like, physical therapy. Like, get them into... I'm sure that's cheaper to actually get hands-on physio of course it to like hands-on physiotherapist on the NHS for sessions. I mean, I think that's, you know, that would be great. Just like a little bit of massage and then make sure they're weight bearing on it and that the the, the kinematic structure is, um, kinetic structure is sound uh, rather than like an MRI, well, let's MRI it then, or let's go to x-ray or, you know, the, the time that it takes to do all of that thing. Physical stuff is so important for the human body because it needs to feel. It needs to dampen down. It needs to understand what it still needs to take care of, and what the what you as a person is prepared to take care of as well. So yeah, I get off my safe box now, Kate.
0: No, so also I'm enjoying <laughs> listening to you very much. So you, your background um, in sports therapy has still actually been highly relevant and being applied today. Um, and uh, alongside your chiropractic skills and alongside the understanding that our mind and body are connected and our perception of our environments and our habits and our childhood beliefs and situations impact how we behave and operate right now.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, I still feel like there's a lot to learn. Um, there's a lot of therapy I'd like to uh, learn that I think will encompass sort of like very gentle touch. There's lots of stuff I've been looking at, but I'm, the Reiki stuff for me was, you know, I, I imagined my chiropractic tutor sat crossed arms going, what are you doing? You know, like they they wouldn't entertain it. They make you very safe as a practitioner. The med, They medicalize, They're probably almost like a physiotherapy degree. Um, And then we learn to take x-rays. So we're kind of radiographers as well. And then we learn to adjust people. And I think some, like for me, being a very light touch chiropractor, some of the heavy handed adjustments for me, I just like, it's completely unnecessary. I mean, it might reset the system, but you're also causing trauma at tissue points. So um, I get confused when I do my muscle testing. There's a process that you use um, called injury recall technique. It's incredibly simple. It was created by um, Goodhart, who was the guy founder of uh, kinesiology. And it clears trauma from the tissue by using overloading the proprioceptors, so which are little receptors in um, all over the body that tell your brain where you are in space and time. So if you close your eyes, the little proprioceptors are telling you sensory, sensor sensory. I can't say that word sensorally. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. Yeah. But the sensors are kicking off, and you can tell where your shoulders are, and you can tell where your hips are, and you can tell where your ankles are, but you're not seeing where you are. Those little receptors are telling you where they are. And there's a really simple technique where you overload the proprioceptors um, whilst you hold on to the injured point, and the brain has to let that point go i mean like we should just teach it to the general population and then so like explain. So,
0: explain so you mean so i mean do you mean like so for the shoulder injury doing a press-up or something like that where you're putting is that how you're overloading the proprioceptors no so no you
1: literally hold onto the ankle and you create movement at the ankle so the talus joint you just create movement at the ankle so you have one leg that is not moving. The other leg feels like it's massively moving. And the proprioceptive, um, you know, the tract is kicking off in the brain. Like this ankle is moving. And it's enough to overload the brain's perception of where the trauma is. So you, and muscle I've found this problem. It's not changing with movement. It's actually physically there. So every time I touch that, the brain's almost like, you know, it's like a movement away from the injury so for instance say I I have dislocated the shoulder twice but I I did a lot of work um, rehabilitating it Um, but it still had trauma in it so every time I overstretched it the brain went to if we overstretch that there's going to be a physical outcome which we we don't want so then it over contracts that front muscle for a while maybe a week or two there's no injury there it hasn't gone into its injured state but there is trauma traumatized tissue there so if I go to the brain, okay, I'm holding this, you're going to hold your arm up. If I hold this, can you hold the arm up? What, what happens for the brain is that this is too much for it to be able to then hold a deltoid contraction. So then you can find that traumatic event. And then literally you just wiggle the proprioceptors in your ankles or your knees. And that information, the proprioceptors, because they're densely populated in both the talus, around the talus and the um. um occiput the base of the skull it's enough to overload that part of the brain that's holding on to this traumatised tissue because this is a chronic injury it's not something you couldn't do it on a new injury for instance because the brain hasn't brought um built up um, an image of the trauma that has happened to it it's something that's stuck in the memory banks
0: so So holding your shoulder in a specific position where you're working in the ankle very very hard moving the ankle very very hard to overload to, to give the brain so much stimulus that it's forgetting yes. about shoulder injury basically exactly it's basically it that it. and it that's overrides
1: it, yeah. it overrides the memory so the next time you go to do that the brain isn't like in that kind of like correct that's why it's so amazing that we naturally do this with children like they fall over and hurt themselves right up you get run around completely rewriting power, that. So yeah. changing it changing it up changing the brain's perception of what that pain is It's no longer something to be scared of. It's not something to be fearful of. I often find like, if I can convince people to, if they're injured and it's obviously not broken or something, if you can get up and move, your brain won't store that as trauma. Like get up and because otherwise, if you sit still with an injury, you're going through all that emotional connection with that injury. You're going through the pain process. It's being laid down in the cortex in lots of different places. The background of that is going to be, okay, as soon as you go like that, it's going to hurt. Oh, my God, can you remember when we did that? You know, there's like all of this sort of neurological storm that happens because of it. You go and, like, create massive amount of movement whilst you're thinking of that trauma. The brain somehow just lets go of it, it like, rewrites and centers itself. Um and very rarely will that now trauma tissue be triggered again. It's something um that Goodhart came up with. It's not my therapy, but it is absolutely fantastic. It's one of the most simple things that I come across. Um, age trauma in like or chronic trauma in tissue, and it's gone within within seconds when you find it. And then you're there to deal with any tissue that is actually damaged underneath. Um, So there may be overstretched in the tendons, so you can correct that. And there may be stress in the muscle belly. um, And there may be some neurological stress, you know, from the brachial plexus in in that injury. So then you treat the underlying mechanical stress and then the whole thing starts to like work together. Then you create exercise at that point. The brain then understands that the trauma is no longer there. It can reintegrate the joint back in. But I think that sometimes what happens with physio as well is that tissue is challenged before it's ready to take on the role of, of being fully healed. Um, And, and that there is like emotional stress or emotional trauma trapped in that injury. So every time you go to do it, the brain's got this neurological storm of like, I must protect you. So instead of doing like a full press up, what they start doing is they they overwork a shoulder joint because they're leaning off an elbow or they're leaning off tissue. They don't want to do. And that's why, Pieces of paper don't work for people as well, because if the trauma is still in the tissue and you give people exercise to do, they'll end up doing the exercises incorrectly because they'll end up compensating and and leaning off tissue that's not healed or tissue that's not ready to receive the exercise yet.
0: So you clearly see there's an opportunity, or I'm guessing there's an opportunity for lots of our health professionals to adopt this attitude of helping people, because most people know, you know, exercise more, eat less, sleep well, you know, drink water, you eat some core elements of what constitutes good health, um, but aren't necessarily able to implement them for whatever reason. They're sort of stuck in a state of having the knowledge, but not knowing how to implement. Not taking action, yeah. And what very often happens is just more and more information is loaded on rather than helping people get to the root cause of why they're struggling to take action, why they're struggling to make the changes that they would like to make. Yeah, absolutely. And I,
1: you know, that's why I call myself a mindset coach. And I haven't studied mindset, but I have, you know, a decade of understanding the processes that cause That stop people from taking the steps that they need to to be healthy, to be well, to love themselves. Really, at the end of the day, I mean, it sounds a bit sappy, but like a lot of people don't take care of themselves because they were taught that that's not you know, self care is like selfish or self care is you know for other people, it's not for you, you know. And and self care sometimes is you know choosing an apple over a chocolate bar for some people you know it's like I'm not worthy of being healthy I'm not worthy and there's a lot of psychosocial stuff that needs to go on to help people who struggle with caring about themselves enough to be healthy and that's really what I you know what boils down for me on a on a coaching level is to help people understand themselves enough to then realize that they're really not on their own like They have this subconscious version of themselves plus who shows up every day. And if you can get on board with the background programs that are like running the show, like you're like, you know, maybe 10% of what goes on on a daily basis. Like your subconscious is, you know, clearing your body of viruses and bacteria. It's like digesting your food for you. It's beating your heart for you. It's breathing for you. You know, none of these things you're having to think of. And then it also deals with all of the past things that have happened to you. And then it processes all of the things that you're doing on a daily basis with those past experiences. And then that creates what how you show up every day. We live very much in our past. We, we live very much from what has happened rather than what we want to happen. And changing a mindset of like believing something that that hasn't happened to you yet, but you want to happen and living the life of somebody that's already achieved those goals. That's really the other thing that, um, my coaching course does is like, let's stop worrying about what you haven't been able to do in the past. And let's see what you want to do for the future. And let's create, you know, that's where the affirmations and journaling and, um, positive reinforcement comes in. Like, what I would say to people is that be grateful already for the things that you want to happen. Like if you have gratitude, that vibrational level is much, much higher than like, Oh God, I don't think I can do that. Like if you got up, if, if like an elite athlete got up in the morning and had to go and do a two hour training before they went to work or went and did another training session or whatever. And they got and went, I don't think I can do that. That energy level is not going to get them to put their trainers on. It's not going to get them to like think about themselves in a really positive way. If you can get up and the first thing you think about is like, I am so grateful that I had a great night's sleep. I'm grateful for the people in my life. Or if you don't have people in your life, I'm grateful that I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to pour myself a bowl of cereal. I am grateful that I'm going to job. I'm going to see people today. I am grateful that I've got a car and I can put fuel in it. And it just changes that level. And then it's going to be, I am grateful that I get to eat apples every day. I am grateful that I get to have a nourishing meal every day. And I get people to like look at all of the things that they could be and and not think about, you know, oh, I don't deserve to be, you know, I was always fat or I was, you know, I've always picked on. I've always had this problem. I've always had that problem. I get them away from like the past, I I get them to look at their present and I not necessarily look too far into the future, but to be grateful for what they want to receive rather than being worried about what they want to push away.
0: And so much contradiction in practitioners then, that you're observing, too, in terms of Practitioners have the intention of trying to help the person in front of them, I often believe, but are stuck in this, especially independent practitioners, stuck in this contradiction of not necessarily being able to get past their own barriers and live the life that they're wishing to help their clients receive. They're sort of stuck on the sidelines, not achieving it for themselves.
1: I think the other thing with practitioners a little bit is that you know, getting people better is not necessarily good financially. It's not financially sound for them. But the way that I look at it is that, you know, I might only have somebody for four to six treatments, but I can pretty much guarantee that that person will tell somebody else and that they will say, it's you know, you have, and they will do the work for me. Like I don't have to, I don't do a lot of marketing. I don't do a lot of, um, I'm not very prolific on um, Facebook and Instagram or, or even in LinkedIn because I, you know, I have one space left this week. Um, I don't have a full clinic next week. That's the thing. I think most people are worried about if they're not booked up weeks in advance, that it's like it's unnerving for them. But I know that all of the people that need to come and see me are out there. They just haven't picked up the phone yet. You know, I I don't worry that if this week I'm going to have like maybe a quiet week because then I can do work more on my coaching business or I can work more on, you know, I always see life give me what I need. As long as I stay in a good level of um, understanding that I am the creator of my future. I am the creator of what is coming to me. And I have I'm living in gratitude on a daily basis. And I'm also Being grateful for things that I want to come into my life. I know at the right time they will come into my life. They're not going to come into my life maybe next week or maybe even a month, but when they're due to be here, they will be. And it's a very balanced and comfortable place to be. Like I don't stress and worry. And, you know, I had somebody the other day who came to me on Facebook actually. Um, and I don't advertise that I'm a different chiropractor. She came in wanting clicking and cracking. And I said, I don't do that. Do you want to try out what I do? She said, Yeah, sure. And she turned around, very, very honest, and goes, It's not for me. And I'm like, It's fine. I am not for everyone. Um, I'm. It's a slow burn. It's like four or five treatments maybe before you're going to like really feel the upturn of this. Um, if you want a quick one, there's some great chiropractors in my town. Just go, go see those guys, and they work for the people that want that Um, but i my clients are a different set as it were they've been around the block a few times they've tried to find solutions um, and they just need to try something different normally they come to me and they are being you know to osteopaths chiropractors acupuncturists and all the rest of it and it's because they're stuck in this paradigm of like you know and sometimes they don't know who they are without their pain that's the, that's one of the saddest things that they've lived with it for so long Like their, their mind in their mind or their mind, their subconscious won't let them go, go away with it. So they'll well clear one thing up and something else goes wrong. But that's because the background program is chronic pain is part of who I am. Um, so it's also clearing that as well and giving them like the understanding that they can change that habit and behavior. It has to come from them. I can't do that for them.
0: Yes, they have to choose. They want to get out of this. They want to change this habit. They want to change this behavior. They don't like it anymore. They've had enough of it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's the people that normally end up on my doorstep. They're ready for the change, as it were.
0: And it takes a very, because again, one of the other things that we can see is people being very protectionist, holding on to their clients for longer than perhaps they should. Yeah what you're describing is actually have the confidence have this um, an abundance mindset that there's plenty of people out there do a really good job and let your good work refill your diary basically exactly yeah and i think
1: i think that was one of my breakthrough moments was like as you know i've done a lot of um i can't remember nightingale work you know a lot of the sort of aged 1930s 1940s people that were like You know, all about mindset and how you change your mindset to to affect your outcome. And one of the things I did was stop worrying about where um, my clients were going to come from. And as soon as I did that, it just seemed to proliferate. It's like sometimes when you're holding on to negativity, it breeds negativity and the energy is different. So my clinic is I try and make it as welcoming as possible. But also my attitude is very welcoming. And I'm very happy for somebody to turn around and say, you're not my cup of tea i'm like it's good it's good that you know that like you should go somewhere where they are going to help you because if you don't think you can heal from what i do you're what? not going to heal. Yeah. and so i don't want to waste your money and i don't want to waste your time so it's brilliant that you've come to that conclusion so early on like, What's the message free? you
0: would like other practitioners to hear shona what would you like them to understand from your experience over the years
1: I think that, and I'm sure lots of practitioners do this, is take the time to know the person, you know, take the time to see the individual, take the time to see the journey that they've been on to the point where they come into your clinic and ask for help and try not to tar everybody with the same brush. You know, I I think on an individual basis, my treatment is different for every single person. I might use the same sort of tools, but... Like, I go with how sort of be more interpretive as well and and not be so fixed into the medical model. Like, allow your intuition to flow when those people come into your your space. Understand the person, treat the person, don't treat the injury.
0: Thank you very much for your time today, Sharon. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you and how you're career has developed to transform the lives of those you serve.